Hi, in this episode, we talk about the vaccine, and we just need to be clear real quick that we are pro-vaccine. We think everybody should get it. We maybe don't agree with mandates, but follow the guidelines, get vaccinated, get boosted, and stay safe. If you'd like to support the show, please rate us five stars, check out our merch store, or go to patreon.com slash what's my thesis to become a patron. All links in the description. What's my thesis? I'm your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found and the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview and ask, what's my thesis? And today, my guest is Emily Blythe-Jones, and we know each other. We're actually, uh, what, how, we're both members. How do you word Monte Vista? Yeah, we're just, members. We're members of Monte Vista together? Yes. Okay. Cool. So we're we're uh, a, a step beyond just acquaintances. Uh, so I'm excited to have you. And um, what's it called? Well, first of all, I didn't see you at OPATH, but how was your experience? I did hang oh, out with Kelly a little bit. Were you not, were you not there on Saturday? No, I didn't get to go in Saturday. Go go there Saturday. I went on Sunday. We we just swapped places. Yeah. And Justin and Kellen were there on, well, Justin came to set up on Saturday mm. and then Kellen was indisposed um, because of a, a like, what do you call it? mutilated himself making the piece yeah. that he was going to play. Yeah, that he making showed. the piece. Blood, sweat, and tears went into that piece. Um, and then I made the mistake of like, I mean, it was basically, I just really overbooked myself on Saturday by not being at all used to being able to do more than one thing in any day. Like I'm just like not capable at this point. I so, mean, it's always been hard in Los Angeles, even pre pre pandemic to do like, yeah. like three, three things in a day in Los Angeles is a lot. <laughs> Too much. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a shut in. I'm definitely a hermit. I love to be at home because that's where my studio is and that's where I work. And then like, mm. I'm just constantly working. So um, it's just like a habit that definitely existed before COVID and then now has just gotten a little bit more intense, but um, went to OPAF on Saturday. And then uh, that night was the opening at gallery also. And I uh, had gotten invited by Lesha a week mm -hmm. before to be in the show. And I made a new piece and that felt like a million bucks. Like I'm so grateful that she thought of me. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it really like forced me to just like real quick turnaround time, make a piece. And she was like, you could bring anything that you have. You can bring, like, I love your work. She was very sweet. Uh, bring whatever. And, and um, then I was like, well, are you okay with me being like a total nut job and making a new piece? And, and I, and I did. Um, I just literally remembered that I have this, uh, I, it's not here, although this is here, the OPAF pin. Nice. And then nice. this is the Made in LA pin that I have. I need but, more swag. That's so good. <laughs> I like these because they're actually not too, they're not a pain in the ass. 
like the, the I've had the main LA pin for a while. And it just yeah, it's in terms of swag, it doesn't get too much in the way. I never realized like I don't even use it on. I mean, I've pinned it on clothes before, I guess. But anyway, I would the the thing I wanted to bring up is that I have this miniature Powerade bottle that. Every time, I, like, it's in my arsenal of shit that's just laying around the house that I, like, keep running into. And it always makes me think of you because I know you like miniaturized, like... I do look. like miniaturized <laughs> things. I totally do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making um, this puppet right now. And it's part of this larger project that is a little bit bonkers and, like, unformulated to, like put to words it's very formulated up here Uh um and like on paper I've got a lot so like the reason why I wrote notes for -hmm. what I wanted to talk about is because I definitely have the tendency to just be like I want to talk about all the things and I get really you know bogged down in in all of the in the details so like the you know like I'll I'll text people about like a new idea that I have about like uh, stemming from the guy that I made for gallery also. And it's like, ends up being like this paragraph. that's like, you know, this long and, you know, everybody has different ways of like consuming material and, and learning. And like, for just for example, Sasha Fishman is like my business partner. Like we're, we're working on starting a business together mm-hmm. and I'll send her texts. And she's like, that was a really long text. (laughs) That was, that was a lot. Um, so I try to be like sensitive to people, but it comes with the territory of how my brain works. And it's a little bit rough. Say you're like a little bit scatterbrained. Is that what you're describing? Like, well, I mean, um, what does scatterbrain actually mean? Because I, I think that that's like a pejorative now that I think about it. But I mean, like, uh, it, it doesn't sound like you're saying you're absent-minded. It just sounds like you, like you, you're overconnecting, or you're connecting a lot of ideas together, and they might yes. not be necessarily always relevant to the discussion. Is I that... don't think I've ever been accused of not being an intense person. Uh, with, <laughs> well, I know? mean, I could say that about myself too. But I mean, me... PC, <laughs> like. This is an interesting conversation for you and I to have because I think that there's like, we've talked in person about this. There's like this simmering underlying thing where it's like, we have a lot of thought, yeah. thoughts in, in common. We have a lot of like things about that we the world. see the world about in, in common. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm really stoked about like the new, the, the renaissance, the important emergence of like discussing mental health as being like one of the big takeaways for us mm-hmm. um, throughout COVID and it uh, allowed me to like start working with the therapist. And then I ended up talking to my mom and she was like, oh yeah, I've known you've had ADHD your entire life, but I never told you. And, um, you know, your brother was having a hard time with, cause it's a lot of people talk about it being genetic. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, yeah, your brother was having some trouble with it. Uh, but you were doing fine in school. So we just never brought it up. <laughs> like, Thanks. Yeah, why well, give you something to like stress about? That I think that that makes perfect sense. Oh my god. If if I had known earlier in my life, I don't know what would be different. Yeah. Um but maybe some things would be different cuz it's, you know, I'm I'm 33 years old and I'm feeling like I'm becoming like this, you know, I it feels like being like a middle-aged artist at this point, you know? Like I might mm-hmm. be young in terms of like life trajectory, but I don't know. There's all these strange uh, trends that 
occur within like age gaps within the Los Angeles art scene. And I'm sure all around the world, but like, what do you mean by that? Or, or what, can you get, do you have any examples that come to mind? I know it can be hard to, to, oh. but I, it's a, it's an interesting thing you just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I got done with grad school, I think a little bit late. I took like two and a half years off from school between my, I, I got an associate's degree back in Illinois Mm-hmm. Um, before we moved out here. And then I took some time off. My husband and I got married, took some time off to move out here and then started grad or started undergrad and then went directly into under uh, grad school, which was a three-year program. So I finished up when I was 28 and then started teaching immediately. Um, and I think that I had this very clear vision that I wanted to be a teacher and that that was like a very pragmatic and also like ethical desire for me, you know, I, I wanted to pass on all of the, the goodness that like my other teachers had, had given me over the years. Um, but I got into teaching and I, I realized that like possibly just because of the way that my brain works, working within academia and bureaucracy and, um, you know, if I don't feel 100% engaged with like the ethics of the university or the high school that I'm working in, I'm just like, peace out guys. I can't. Yeah. That's going to complicate things because the ethics are, <laughs> that funding never comes from like the wealthy moral <laughs> people yeah. of the world, right? Like No. Yeah. <laughs> I worked for a high school that was a definitely like a private high school and the amount of money that the students were paying was quite intense. And I had a student one day say something along the lines of, well, I don't need to clean my paintbrushes, even though you're trying to teach me how to like take care of my belongings, uh, my studio equipment. I don't need to clean my paintbrushes. Um, Like my parents pay this much in tuition. uh, So you can take care of that for me. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I, I loved working within the CSU system because the students are like my people. Like, yeah, 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 it's just, it's such a different thing to be connected with the student body at CSU and feel like I really want to support the students. I want to make them feel like their education isn't um, propagating like an attitude of like the CSU being somewhat of like an underdog school. Like the professors that I had at the CSU that I went to were incredible like they had incredible pedigrees they're like such incredible people incredible professors and then a lot of them also like moonlighted at you know other private colleges and so I I talked to students a lot um you know after after leaving academia I I kept continued trying to be really engaged with students and talking about you know the way that I view all of that Mm-hmm. all of the the financial aspects of getting an education in art and i have a lot of big feelings about it um and a lot of it comes from like my my political perspective and um i'm speaking to you as if like i'm allowing for you to read behind like between the lines and that's it's like a hard thing because i have a lot of thoughts and i never know how much i want to put out onto the table as far as like talking about it with people because I'm scared of in so many different areas of my life if people 
knew about like how vitriolic I get about particular aspects of how the art world works or how Mm -hmm. the education system works, that they would be like, whoa, you're an intense person. Um, And it's like too much to talk to you about this stuff. So so you're worried that I'm going to be like afraid of you? You're going to judge me so hard. No, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of academia in, in the sense that like, I mean, I definitely didn't want... I just think that a lot of it is, uh, you know, I think people are very much really into the idea of um, expertise being so like the 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 dialogue that's going on around like making around doing your own research is so condescending, and it's like like what you went to a fucking institution you paid billions of dollars, whatever, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sorry. I'm thinking, I've been, I have had Bill Gates on the brain. <laughs> we all it, was just, it was just a PBS news hour thing where, where he was just like, he, he go, like they asked him like, what did you learn or, uh, about like interacting with Jeffrey Epstein? And he goes, well, he's dead. <laughs> and okay. it's like the weirdest fucking answer. But anyway, I think that there's like a lot of people that like, for example, there's a lot of people that are like pro science, but don't actually know, like, you know, it's more of like, hey, I'm a Democrat rather than like, hey, I actually give a fuck about what science and they mock anybody else who would question, have any critical thinking, which I think like if academia is not about critical thinking anymore, which is what I find interesting, like, I know that I'm wrong about this, but like, for for a while, I I kind of was like every artist is somewhat of a critical thinker, right? And even though that can be kind of true, like I think I, I've discovered that that's not necessarily the case the hard way by doing this podcast and just like interacting with people. Not just that they don't agree with me politically, but just how they like so you can tell something about people, but through their worldview, right? Yeah. Like, and so I I just find that academia is pretty it's just cringe is is what it is. And then the idea that like Ivy League schools are anything other than institutions that propagate like generational wealth right and and, and, do, and have anything to do with like actual meritocracy, you know, like the what's it called? Chris Hedges, he's a he's the guy that uh, quit the New York Times because they wouldn't let him talk about like he he was anti uh the Iraq war. And like he had a confrontation with his, I forget exactly the details. He left and he started uh, doing his own stuff. He's like a really well-respected guy. And I forgot why I brought him, brought him up. What, 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 what was the point I was just making? I, I mean, so critical Chris Hedges, thinking as, as an aspect of, this has been coming up in conversation a lot, critical thinking as far as like oh, yeah. realizing that like these institutions are propping up like the idea of a truth that we're just supposed to just swallow completely critical thinking should allow for there to be a bit more uh less surprise when we find out that the institutions are maybe not telling us entire truths i don't know if that's the chris hedges situation but i keep well no i mean it doesn't matter exactly what the point was but but because this is still interesting but just the the idea that there is like i it just it's so frustrating to me how people I don't even think that they're aware that they're just virtue signaling. I think that they genuinely have this idea of like wanting to have justice and then they're just, but they have no fucking concept of like 
foreign policy or our, our history in this country, right? And and then going to academia, I think that more and more academia rewards people that are insiders, right? Like the idea that there's a professional managerial class in the country and like if you're going to school, that's essentially what you're striving for, right? You're like, no one goes to fucking into that much debt so that they can be an underling, right? They like these are the people that were able to work from home when the when the pandemic hit. They didn't lose their jobs, right? It, it, like uh, people that designers and stuff like that, coders, people like that. Um, and I think that there's sort of this like impulse to sort of just want to like validate your existence. Well, everybody else is fucking starving. And then I think that a lot of people have really intense points of views that are incredibly offensive, but they're like mm -hmm. openly okay, right? Like, um, like where are all the people that, that were angry at Trump about kids in cages? Like, we just watched some fucking Haitian people get whipped by men on horses. Last yeah. year was George Floyd. Like, I, I, can't, I can't process how quickly we got over George Floyd. Like... I, you know, like, and, and all those things. So I don't know, in terms of that, that kind of political stuff, I find it is, uh, really shocking how little critical thinking is part of, uh, most education, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, well, there I mean, if you think about what the purpose of teaching a student, how to do crits in art school, it's supposed to be about like it, it should be just called critical thinking, like as a class. I mean, that's the, the things that I miss the most about being a student in grad school was being put into a room where the only purpose of the time spent together was to engage in critical thinking. And if you're only navigating critique and um, art school as a way to turn your work into a profit-making machine, I think you're missing so many aspects of developing your critical thinking voice and your capabilities of being able to see the world through a, a, a more, in my opinion, realistic lens, because like you, you can't assume that what is on the surface is going to be the truth and it takes energy and time. And I, I, fe I feel so privileged in so many aspects of my life and the, um, the opportunity that I've had to be in art school and to like take these critical classes and to be able to like read texts that have expanded my thinking. I took this class when I was like still an undergrad that was called intercultural communications. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I think like 23 or 24 when I took this class and it completely shifted my perspective and and allowed for me to start trying to like dismantle a lot of the thought processes that I had, had operated on since I was uh you know de de um deculted a bit from de the wait you you weren't in a cult cult you're talking more metaphorically right I what do you call <laughs> really intense branches of the evangelical okay. church. No, that's fine. Um, so like I, what kind of, what kind of, what, what church are we talking like mega churches? Yeah. Yeah. I was okay. definitely part of, um, I was, I was part 
throughout most of the formative years of my childhood, I was part of like a small but mega church. Like it was like a smaller community, but they operated like a mega church. And that was like the church that I went to where we went on like mission trips, which is just so offensive to me as like a a human adult where I'm just like, I cannot believe that we did that. I cannot believe that I engaged in that. I have like nothing good to say. It's, it's essentially colonialism is that's what, you know, I mean, that's like why Los Angeles colonialism. Yeah. That's why, you know, one of the things that's funny to me, we were talking about OPAF, that place is called San Pedro, not, not San Pedro. Yeah. And and Los Feliz, even in English, you can't, you can't say like, you can't, it's not Los Feliz. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's the simmering underlying tension that is that everything is a colonialist uh lie that props up like um the the (laughs) white capitalist patriarchy like all of that is just it's it's just so apparent and obvious that like it's um I think for a lot of people it's like you can't even deal with confronting that in your reality because it's so like changes everything about how you view the world if you ever believed any of that and I think, you know, I'm still processing all of and trying to like remove from my own way of thinking so many things that I just took for completely, you know, as truth Um, and realizing like, you know, when we can't sing religious songs for a family funeral because not everybody is religious. So then we go towards singing a patriotic song and that being just as offensive and just as horrifying as singing a religious song is what's like. The, what's the patriotic song? Oh, my. Because, hmm. because I mean, it will put a boot up your ass. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the my, range is like pretty broad, you know, it can get really was, specific. <laughs> um, This was got, no, it wasn't got, it was America the Beautiful, I think. Okay. So it's like a, that, it's an old timey patriotic song. Oh yeah. Like okay. one of the ones that I learned while I was going to a Christian school. From when, when America was, was actually beautiful and still yeah. had like rolling landscapes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful for who? Um, so uh, a yeah. quick question before we get too far into this, I'm sure we'll keep going in this thread, but uh, what was your topic? Was it flowers? Well, flowers no i was just i was something not political (laughs) yeah right yeah um no like okay so i mean it's kind of along the lines of like dismantling our reliance on uh the academic system as being a like a necessity in order to improve your skills like i still think that there's value in finding a cheap or affordable way to be um embedded within like a community of other artists because of even if it's bad even if you have ups and downs through that process there are still so many beautiful aspects of being able to increase your critical thinking and also like meet people that are outside of your worldview you know it's 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 instrumental that being said when I was in college I um I took a lot of sculpture classes as a a grad student that were critique based. The professor is this incredible person who um, Christian Tedeschi, he came from Cranbrook and they, he, he ran his classes very much as Cranbrook does where it's a critique heavy class. Um, And then gave us the opportunity to be learning skill-based learning 
outside of his classroom, we had full access to the sculpture lab. It was, it was great. But throughout my, my college experience, I really wanted to get into figurative sculpting. And um, there was one amazing teacher that taught like an an, uh, anatomy class um, and I took him for life drawing, but I was, I was basically going through school with this. um, I I was like a painting sculpture interdisciplinary student, but I was a lot more encouraged to focus on um, painting. And I, I really valued that because it allowed for me to process my thoughts in a really quick way and also to experience what it felt like to have crits to directed towards honing my voice and not necessarily about like material exploration. Like I needed to get some thoughts worked out while I was in school and painting was the easiest way to do that. So getting out of school, I started like kind of narrowing down on some of my conceptual interests, but I did not want to be painting anymore. And had gotten some um, really incredible experiences. Like I, I got to do the CSU summer arts program um, up in Monterey Bay and Evan Holloway and Katie Grinnan came because Christian invited them up and like they, and then Carrie Reardon, who was also a professor up there, like all just like got this bug in me of like sculpting and mold making as being like the answer for me. Mm-hmm. And I got out of school and I didn't have access to like some of the, the facilities and the materials that the students had. So like, I wish that I had used a bunch of body double to make body castings when I was in school, but I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got out of school and I needed to teach myself how to sculpt and I needed to learn anatomy and I needed to learn like what I wanted to even be saying. And, you know, I'm still doing that. MFA. This was after my MFA. Yeah. Um, I was making paintings that I just wasn't happy with and um, trying to go a little bit more relief and like dimensional with the work, but it, it just wasn't happening as fast as I wanted it to. So I started doing all of this research into what people within the special effects community do, um, what people do within like the, the, um, the toy uh, making industry, and then blending that with anatomical study that's done within like atelier programs like what's atelier uh you know somebody who goes to venice or uh a a program like there's there's a couple different sculpting programs like uh, laguna college of art and design is a really figurative based Mm -hmm. traditional skills sort of program um so i started following a bunch of people on Instagram, um, you know, learning about how people implement anatomical study while also combining that with conceptual research. And I just like fell in love with this mode of working, but I couldn't stand the idea that a lot of what people do is they work with materials that are, when you sculpt with them, they're permanent or they are, you know, water-based clays that need to be fired, or they are impermanent materials that need to have molds made of them. And we have completely moved away from any of the old school methods of making molds. And we are completely like in this cycle of like worshiping petroleum-based products 
silica silicones um, as being like the only options that are on the market. And those are incredibly expensive and they are non-biodegradable. And so my thesis is just constantly in life trying to teach people that there are alternatives that if you search out on the internet long enough and do a lot of experimenting and are incredibly privileged to have a space to be doing this work and to be doing all of this research, you can find alternatives. Um, And so my thesis in, in life has kind of become, I wanted to be a teacher in the academic setting. It didn't necessarily work out for me. I learned a bunch of skills that I could apply to making my own sculptural work. And now I want to find ways to teach them and to like evangelize this process, mm-hmm. which is all, you know, ironic considering my background in evangelism. Well, it taught you know, me something. You, you don't necessarily have to discard all of your life. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting. So what like then uh, is this stuff less toxic to the world that these these alternative materials or is it mostly going to uh, save money? Is it, oh, is it like if there's both. an ecological side to this as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, what you were, I, you were you were teaching a class of this uh, at uh, OPAF, right? Yeah. So Sasha and I met at Monta Vista. I wanted to say you, by the way, you are the queen of name dropping names i've never heard <laughs> well, that's great that's great if that means that you get to find some awesome new exciting artists like <laughs> i you know what I, that's another well that's what i'm saying it's like i'm being ironic because it's not a name drop if it's like somebody that's kind of obscure <laughs> you're not like yeah, oh, oh that's oh, Brad pitt gave me this advice <laughs> <laughs> um that's a huge bent that i have in my work in my i'm actually like developing a sort of a side trajectory for something that I want to do with the puppets that I'm making, where I want to talk about arts workers and I want to talk about visibility of people that are instrumental in your own development as an artist and um, creating citations for the people that help make the art world go round and Mm. I think that because I was involved for so many years, um, you know, I've, I've been working since I got out of grad school and even before that as studio assistants for various people as, um, you know, I, I have kind of graduated to being interested in looking at my skill set as being like good for fabrication. Um, and now I want to completely abandon fabrication for consultation and education implementing this whole system that is the eco-friendly mold making system um but i i'm like in the effort of being like an evangelical how do i reach the most amount of people Mm -hmm. and i don't think that fabricating for one person or one you know a couple of different artists is the best use of my time um so sasha fishman and i met at monta vista last year and then i'm sorry wow that was 20 it could have been 30 years ago it's fine i know right um <laughs> that's how it feels we we met at the mana vista open call because she was in that show and like we made you know that connection we were like oh god we have to be friends this isn't so incredible it's so exciting because she's doing research into bioplastics and casting materials what's and a bioplastic I'm, a bioplastic is a really complicated 
concept because they're not necessarily um, biodegradable in the way that we think about it. There's like different classifications of plastics that are being created, like avocado biodegradable. You still have to have very specific conditions in order for the plastic to be compostable. And compostable is the thing that we are both aspiring to. Compostable is like the the top tier of bioplastics where you know that the material that you are creating and using is going to completely disintegrate without having to be put under certain circumstances. Does so that make you sense? Don't, uh, yeah. So you don't spend extra electricity trying to save the world and then, and like, cause that's one of the ironies of recycling, right? Like it's like, it, first of all, it doesn't fully recycle the plastic and then it, it burns like so much carbon. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so she's doing all this incredible research into like Kytosan and um, agar and uh, she at one point adopted some hagfish from this farm up in Monterey Bay and like lived with these hagfish that produce a slime and a... a Is the a, hagfish ugly? <laughs> oh, it's so ugly. I, but they're kind of cute because they're so ugly. I, they're I like pugs, uh, the pugs of fish. Oh, yeah. What a brutal totally. name though, hagfish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're, I mean, they're miraculous things and, um, you'll have to look up what hagfish can do, but she's, you know, she's doing research into that. And then I'm doing research into the flexible alternatives for like silicones. And I, I started working with this, um, recipe that I found on YouTube and, uh, it's just glycerin and gelatin. And, um, you know, it took me some time to kind of figure out what like materials are compatible with being cast into that, but I have finally figured that out and it can be used as a casting, uh, as a molding material for like clay, water-based clay. Mm. So like, I'm freaking out about this process because it's basically a lot. I, I got a kiln last year. It's basically allowing to me to make ceramics without ever having to consider having like permanent rigid plaster molds and like plaster is not, you know, it's, it's not the most toxic or, you know, environmentally um, damaging material, but it's definitely not, not damaging. There yeah. are mining processes that have to go into uh, getting plaster materials that like is not, it's not great. And the, the gelatin component of my mold making material, of course, is, is porcine based. Porcine? Um, is that horse so based? Uh, pigs, like it's, okay. it's, it's just Knox gelatin and it's, you know, you're using something that's part of the waste stream of producing what we eat. And I view it as a, a really unfortunate necessary evil in terms of like, I'm not personally vegan. I'm trying to eat as often vegetarian as I can. Um, but like, I still will eat meat occasionally and I, I will eat um, fowl because they are one of the better things to be eating if you're going to still be eating meat or if I'll eat fish. Why, but, why are um, they better in terms of health? Uh, in terms of environmental uh, is, is poultry Is poultry different from fowl? No, poultry. Yeah, fowl. I I, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm not, I don't know what the vegetarian, I was literally thinking while you were saying that it was made from a uh, pig, I was like, oh, then that's perfect. I eat the shit out of a pig. <laughs> <laughs> I love some good, 
good pork. Oh God. Yeah. It's a real, it's real hard. And I love beef, but I'm trying not to eat that much because my uh, family was in the dairy industry growing up uh, back in Illinois. Um, And like engaging with cows, you're just like, oh, they're just like our dogs and so are pigs. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, that's the emotional component, but like. I would eat a fucking dog though. That doesn't convince me. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) that's another one. The only thing I wouldn't eat is a cat because like, I I feel like cats are like cunning and cool. And I would feel weird about that personality. But if like, I don't know, maybe if I find someone obnoxious enough, I would eat them too. No, I'm kidding. That's hilarious. <laughs> We've built, my husband and I have been talking about um, if, if the whole like Petri dish human flesh becomes viable as like a thing to eat. And it's proven that like, it's not going to have any sort of genetic like malfunction. We're, we're not going to have kids um, for a multitude of reasons, but like, would you eat it or would you not? And like, I don't know. I mean, I'm very curious about it. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bit dubious now that the vaccine involves so many, like when the vaccine came out, I was like, Oh shit, it's over. And now that they're like boosters and whatnot, I'm like, Oh dude, yo, you want me to keep getting stuck? I don't know, dude. It, uh, <laughs> I got the Johnson and Johnson. So I've, I've gotten one and I will go on the record as like, if I'm the person that ends up being the reason for some sort of zombie apocalypse, cause I'm part of the Johnson and Johnson crew, like, Oh, well, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, bro, I don't, I don't really trust these motherfuckers. If they, if they had like shared it with the world, then I'd be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But like, but like the idea that they need me to keep going and they're going to keep making money off of it. I don't know. I, I'm not anti-vax. I, I just don't know. I just, I'm like, at this point, I think that you have better immunity if you, if you get it. And I'm like, yeah. the motherfuckers that got it are the smart ones. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I, <laughs> critical thinking makes this whole situation very challenging. And I have family members that are like actually um, anti-vax and that's it's yeah. emotionally exhausting to a point where like I think about it and I just want to like curl, curl up in a ball and just I it's it's tough yeah I ha- I'm in a different place because I don't have like any like I don't really interact with anybody that uh, is like straight up uh, you know a trumper that isn't like Hispanic you know and so I can understand how like with the baggage of racism and stuff, but like, I, you know, I don't know. I think that like, in terms of critical thinking, I was not a critical thinker when the p- vaccine came out. I was just like, yeah, I'll fucking, anything that fixes this, <laughs> you yeah. know? Whereas now I'm starting to see like, we're like, it, you know, I can definitely understand how people, like whatever, I'll probably end up getting the, the booster shot, whatever. I'm not, like, I've already gotten stuck by this shit, you know? <laughs> You're already signed up. You're already yeah, but like, in. But, you know, so, and, and I, I know that people are saying that people get it, and I know that it's a small percentage. All I'm saying is that, like, for me, what gets me crazy, and this is my problem, right? Like, I get more triggered by the people that get triggered by the people on the right, right? And like, and for me, I'm just as guilty of the same shit that they are, right? Like they're, they're like, it's like you're not fucking minding your own business to some degree where I'm like getting pissed off at people that are like, um, you know, like Russia gators, 
and all of that, like that whole thing where people were getting like really invested, and, like, oh, he's a traitor instead of just like a douchebag, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like it, it had to, it had, for so many people, it had to escalate because he was this like white racist piece of shit guy. And then, but at the same time, like so many minorities were, were for him, like so many Mexicans, so many like Latinos of all fucking st- stripes. Like, you know, like it's funny to me because there's this like misconception that like Cubans are the Republicans. It's like, bro, every fucking Latino culture was Catholic, has had, you know, like they were, were part of, were, were, were subject to the missions that also existed here in California before the Americans took that shit over. Like that's how deep that shit goes. So like, there's a lot of people that don't, that aren't pro-abortion that like, there's a lot of Brown people Right. That the people that sit and they're like, oh, think of the brown people when that guy comes around, when the Trump uh, brown person goes, it's like, fuck you. And to me, that like that sort of denotes of like this dismissal of like people based on opinions rather than like actions. You get what I'm saying? Like, I get really frustrated with like just like. But anyway, the point that I'm also making able to see the humanity behind anyone at this point. And there's, you know, there's so much tribalism that's being encouraged and to not have critical thinking being at the heart of how you like engage with other people around you and like to understand what their background is. You know, I, maybe I have a different perspective on that because I, I was such a different person half a lifetime ago, you know, like, uh, and, and I think there's so many stereotypes that are still applied to people that come from the Midwest and that come from an evangelical background. And like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want people to think about who I am based on who I was in the past. And like the idea of past selves being, um, enough to have a person like, lose access to being treated like a human being is really interesting. Like there's, there's so much about like that aspect of our culture right now, but like, we're all just not treating each other like humans at this point. And it's. Yeah. And, and I guess what I'm working on myself is just sort of not getting triggered by people getting triggered like that. Like I, I, it's not that I get triggered, but I'm just like, shut the fuck up. You know, like let, let fucking people live. Like you, you're not perfect, you know? especially when like for me like people that were you know like okay the the extreme of like that shit that people are like oh these people shouldn't get health care or the the people taking dunks on people for ivermectin right where it's like there's like it's just it it becomes it's this tribalism that like for me when i was a kid I remember when, or when I was a kid, when I was like in college, uh, the, the, uh, it's, I was still a kid, but like the, during the Iraq war, there was this whole fucking push by people like Rachel Maddow and all these people. And Mark Maron was part of it. There was this uh, a radio station called Air America. Uh, what's his name? Uh, he fucking died. The, the Ed uh, Buck, I think. No, Ed Buck is that fucking horrible person that drugs people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> anyway. The, the the point being that, like, back in that era, the culture war was really just one-sided, right? Like, the culture war, the Bill I O'Reilly book. Sorry, I have to yell at my dog to get out of the room because he's being, he's, like, panting, and I'm worried somebody's going to think that something illicit is happening in the background. You need to go, Bubs. 
he is this big, huge mastiff, and he makes he's just so loud. I'm gonna I'm gonna text my husband and ask him to like get no. him out of the room. He's distracting you because I can't I hear him. Oh, you can't. No, okay. No. But anyway, so like at that, that point, at that point, I was very much engaged, and I was really angry about you know because I had left the country and I'd come back. And I'd seen how crazy everything was. But there was really a huge push to make a competitive Fox News, right? Like, Oh, and, and, a competitor to Fox News? Yeah, and a competitor to, like, all that raw... Like, Rachel Maddow is homies with Roger Ailes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, with um, the, right back, back then, it was Bill O'Reilly, Je, uh, uh, Beck was, was a big deal... All uh-huh. of these, like, and then Rush Limbaugh, all of these motherfuckers were like huge. And then Rachel Maddow and all of these people, they were trying to become like competitors in that space, right? So for me, when I see like people now on the left, like getting caught up into these arguments about culture that are like, that's are so irrelevant. It's like, or okay. Here's what drives me crazy. People that just sit there and point hypocrit- point out hypocrisy on the other side. I'm like, that's like part of being human. I just think human. that the problems are so much bigger. Like we're getting lost in the sauce. Like, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're in a situation where the problems are so much bigger than anything that we can deal with unless we find some ways to recognize that like everybody is at a certain point living a... a hypocrisy filled and that's that's exactly what i'm saying like i am i am frustrated my frustration with people that are frustrated with other people is no higher pursuit than their frustration it's equal waste of time right like i'm not saying that i'm better i'm just saying based on the shit that i have built my worldview on this is what triggers me and right. the same thing is happening in that instance with other people, right? Like for me, and to and and to me, that's hopefully going to be a healthier space, which I'm tr- striving to do. But goddamn, motherfuckers, be like, you know, oh, they're so like it's like the black squares things during the George Floyd thing. That that sentiment, you know, like that is like what keeps happening towards everything, and it drives me insane, right? Yeah, like, virtue signaling is like a real a real issue uh, that I feel like I wish more people discussed openly is like, do I virtue signal? Can I see this in myself as being a, something that I need to work on? Um, to, I, I forget if it was Brad Trammell or if it was somebody else that I got this from, but they were, I think it was another guy, but they were talking about like this idea of like, why does it benefit us as as animals to be constantly distracting ourselves with what's going on and finding like a, a person or a thing as far as like the news trends go to create that sense of community and like how messed up that can become and how quickly um, destructive and toxic that, that, that isolation of a person where we can like, as a community have catharsis in, you know, um, removing the toxin, removing that mm-hmm. from our, our zeitgeist that like that, that becomes this thing that becomes more of a problem than, than a lot of other behaviors that we're seeing on, on social media. Like 
what happens when all of a sudden we learn that maybe as a society, we were wrong. Like we're discovering so much about, you know, the way that we thought about the nineties and late or early two thousands, like pop stars, you know, like, why can't we apply that mode of thinking? Like, Oh, maybe we had the perspectives about, and that that's coming up about like Monica Lewinsky right now because of the show that's on like, Wait, the, what, what show? There's a, a new show on HBO that's about Monica Lewinsky and that whole story and realizing like, God, there was this line in one of the articles that I read where they were talking about the scathing discussion within feminist circles about Monica Lewinsky in the 90s. And those that was what the tools that those feminists had provided to them. Like, I, I think that the problem is, is that we're not recognizing that we as various generations have not had all of the tools that we've needed to recognize the problems that we are having to preemptively see them as being problems and to like prevent us from like cannibalizing ourselves as a society. Like we gobbled up Monica Lewinsky as a, like a person that we could put all of our negative feelings about what had happened, the the degradation that we felt of our country being the laughing stock for, you know, what I think a lot of people perceived as being the first time at the, the you know, the hands of a Democrat, whatever, And so they're talking in this article about like how horrible these feminists were in the nineties when they were talking about Monica Lewinsky. And now it comes out that like, at one point they were like, yeah, she was having like, you know, she, she had a history of having uh, affairs with, with men. And like, she was, you know, she was troubled and she wanted this. They said in this article that I read something along the lines of, oh, and she had a five-year affair with an older man that means that she was 16 when she was having an affair with an older man. That's statutory rape. Yeah. So, so she, it, but then get, they're giving her agency as but a 16 year old. She's a, a fully formed human being, fully formed yeah. woman yeah. who can make great decisions. Even at 22, she was way too fucking young for that. Yes. You know, for the most Absolutely. powerful man in the world. Absolutely. So like, what are all of the things that we're going to realize, you know, and it's happening so much faster right now, which I think is part of the whiplash effect. Like we can't keep up with how fast we are having to reconcile how, how horribly fucked up everything is and what travesties we have committed. You know what I mean? Continue to commit. I mean, it's, it's just like the lists of the, of the shit that happens is insane. Yeah. But, but it's so, but going back to, so you said something, I don't think, uh, it's when you said that art students have different generational trends, because I think that like um, one of the things that gives me a lot of frustration is that there is while there is a generation of like there's a generation of boomers and they are fucking set in their ways. There's a generation of uh, Gen Xers who kind of I'm at the tail end of that. They kind of made the tech world. That's their, you know, like the Silicon Valley. That's sort of a Gen X. Right. Uh, virtue, right? I think that that's the generation that Bill Gates probably falls into, if I were to guess. Uh, but either way, huh? Not Boomer. He might be a. I, 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 everybody that was working some, for him. Yeah, he probably, worked with some smart, some smart Gen X. Or, yeah. yeah, like all of his online coders, right? But anyway, uh, and then you have the millennial generation that just grows up consuming all of that shit right but like what gen x was really about was this apathy at like i mean if you look at like fucking uh the artwork of like 
uh, Nirvana and and the shit that was really popular in the early like early nineties ninety one to like ninety six. It started to get into this like techno music started to become cool around like ninety six ninety seven. Right? Apathy and disillusionment, right? Yeah, that was like a marketable thing for the Gen X uh, generation, right? So, <clears throat> I'm I'm wondering. So, one of the things that drives that that makes it really difficult for me is that it seems like the the Gen Z crew and the millennial crew are pretty aware of like the evils of capitalism, the evil of uh, evils of neoliberalism, but at the same time, I feel like they get caught up in this. Um, effective uh like the idea of how like if there's ever good what's that performance no i'm just being careful how i say it because i don't want to like disparage uh, a whole generation i mean i think that the millennials uh were the first generation that had to reconcile the idea of us constantly being in a performative state and like the affect that you're talking about as being something that despite the fact that we might be aware of more than maybe the Gen Xers were that we are so um, mired down in what it is to engage with the world in a way that's not going to get us, um, you know, in trouble with our families or with our jobs. Like there's so much performative affectation that completely is stymieing any further forward momentum that I think that might be possible if that was not something, but like, it's like so impossible to separate those two things. Like we have access to a larger voice. This might get me canceled, but (laughs) okay. But I think that, that, all right. I, at, at my job, I, I work in a retail outlet that sells musical instruments. So I know people that are younger and I've interacted with them. And I know of, of people that I work with that are younger. And, you know, the ease with which grooming gets thrown around when you're like three years older than somebody and you guys knew each other in high school, two years older, one year older, like it's getting fucking weird where it's like, even if they didn't have a relationship until after, if they knew each other, like, you know, and it, it, and to me, are you saying generational gaps are causing cycles of, of grooming to, no, I, well, I think that, I think that there's this like, overcorrection which is which tends to be like it's like sort of like oh everybody's been so fucking grimy we need to overcorrect but at the same time you're canceling kids that are like kids too right like if someone who's 22 is not a fucking 40 year old that's dating a 17 year old someone who's like you know i'm not condoning that shit but i'm just saying like there seems to be a loss of perspective because the perception is coming from, and I'm not just talking about that, like, you know, that's a very specific example that I thought of while you were talking about. But I think that there's also this, like, um, like, if we're ever going to fight the capitalist system, at some point, we're going to have to work with racists, you know, at some point, because like that, that's, and I think that that's an effective tool of like propaganda that comes from establishment, where it's like, if you have, uh, you know, I've heard uh, many people talk about this, but you can't go on a shop floor and say, Hey, who voted Republican? 
okay, you guys can't be part of our union. And one of the things that really fucked up the country was that when uh, unions were being formed, they didn't let black people unionize, right? That really affected the labor movement. So in those terms, I think that there is a well-intentioned sort of need, desire to fix the past, right? Where it's this idea of like, we need to, fu- we need to be anti-racist. That's questionable to me because I don't see anybody being anti-racist. Like, anti-racist isn't even a fucking word people use a year after a guy was murdered, and we were all very upset about it. I understand not wanting to think about it, but that, the anniversary just, you know, I don't even remember when the anniversary was happened, but it did. And when it happened, I remember noticing that, like, no one fucking talked about it, right? Uh, I thought with all the protests, that would definitely be something <laughs> that you would hear more and more about, right? Like f- protests in every state. So you feel personally changed by what, what happened? And uh, do I feel personally changed by what happened with George Floyd? I mean, I, I, I have this hope that a lot of people feel personally changed by reconciling that they, that they were not aware and that they did get the opportunity to learn and grow and educate themselves. But like, sometimes I'm accused of being an optimist about certain things and like it's balanced out by complete pessimism and in, in lots of others. But, you know, I'm hoping I, we, we watch a lot of Netflix shows with a very strong critical thinking sort of um, guideline underneath all of it. And there is this trend towards um, terraforming millennial gen z consumption terraforming and and paving the road for critical thinking in regards to racial aspects um gender aspects and because of the prevalence of what i'm seeing maybe not necessarily well done but there are there are more dollars being spent towards trying to create a an atmosphere of learning in that, in those regards that like, what kind of, what like do you mean by dollars a, spent? Uh, sorry. I, Cause that, that triggers a lot of different ideas of what, like, cause I, donation, like uh, uh, GoFundMes and stuff, or what do you mean by dollars spent? Oh no, I mean like the capitalistic, like control over like who does it benefit to create the diversity of voices Um when they are reacting to a social movement that can be looked at as being like incredible, incredibly troubling where it's like, why are we letting these corporations affect the, the zeitgeist and affect the trends? But at the same time, if people are being bullied into bullied into increasing the amount of voices that are present for having these conversations, that hopefully that that means that like the pendulum swing is going to correct, if not overcorrect and then need another pendulum swing. Like, I don't know. I, there are aspects of optimism that I try to hold on to. And in regards to like trying to have optimism when I'm firmly in the camp that like all of this is pointless because like most of us are not going to be around in, a couple years like because of the climate crisis like I, it, it of course uh, that sounds terrible that's 
No, but but that but I think I I'm, I think that we're in the right we we're, we're in agreement with each other because I do think that like like while you're saying the pendulum how how many swings of the pendulum are there left though? Well, they're happening yeah. so fast now, and they're they're gonna. I think that they're gonna keep. I think along with everything in our in our world right now, everything is gonna keep speeding up. You know, and I think that that's gonna it's gonna be sped up by recognizing the fact that like. Uh, the lower lower socioeconomic classes are going to be the most impacted by climate change. And that when we start reconciling like why that is a situation, it's going to cause some real moments of like, mm. well, how did we get into this mess? I, I, I hope that that means that we can correct some of the problems. I'm just balancing yeah. out every day, feeling like hopeless and like optimism is foolish, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like things are. I, I mean, I I have a pretty. I'm, I am a person that because of my uh, mental illness issues throughout my life, I have become very comfortable in both being happy and having no hope. Right? Like, sure. Uh, and I, I, and and I'm not. I'm not saying I, this isn't even like a discussion about like what's right or wrong. I actually am enjoying this because it's helping me think about certain things, but. So you the the performative thing I'm just worried that the movements the cultural movements that we're seeing are 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 not building solidarity in the oh. way in the way that you know like I think that and I don't think that that is not by design I I don't think it's an accident that you're seeing faces uh, like Bri- uh, like um, not Brianna Joy Gray, but uh, Joy Ann Reed and people like that who are essentially like right-wingers that are uh, uh, Islamophobes, homophobes, are, are you know, recently uh, or like 2020. Uh, and, th- and these are the people that represent the left. And I think there's a reason you're seeing people of color like that that are dis- divisive. Like it's it, 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 all you have to do is think of Candace Owens to to know that like there's different varying degrees of people that are uh, elitists who you know like Obama who is like he, who owns however many yards in Martha's Vineyard. Like yes, he's a black man. But how closely related to an average black person's experience is his current life like now, right? There's there's a lot of talk about how, um, you know, when 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 you become wealthy, you lose empathy, right? And so this is not to say that Obama is like a bad person or anything like that. It's just the way that I think. When you're wealthy, there's an understanding that wealth protects wealth. And for them, it's easy to talk about racial justice. It's easy for them to talk about, uh, uh, you know, sex being uh, like, uh, or I'm trying to think about like LGBT rights. I'm trying to think about the way to phrase that. And, 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 uh, And all of that, it's really easy for them to talk about it. If they start talking about helping poor people they're betraying their class it's all class warfare it's all exactly and so what concerns me about what i'm seeing with this like it's i don't want to call it cancel culture because i don't think that that's like what the kids are doing i think that they're genuinely trying to like fight 
for justice, but ultimately it serves oppressors, right? Does that make sense? 100%. I mean, um, and, and having a, a very, um, difficult and like rich conversation about all of this, it's, it benefits the powers that, that be to, to not allow for this to be an easy conversation for any of us to have, because this aspect of class warfare has leaked into so many different aspects of how we are interacting with the world around us. I mean, like it's, it's impassable at this point for us to weed out what has been created in order to keep us separate from each other. And in order to recognize that, like all of this just benefits a further um, striation, a further removal of the ruling class from everybody else. And you know, when you look at the way that like our media is oriented, it's all about creating those divisions. It's all about, you know, how can we create all of this inner fighting, inner tribalism, so that we can have distractions from like the things that are actually the problems. And not to say that any of these small things are not massive problems that need to be dealt with, but how did they start? They started because of, I mean, I've, I've been reading a lot more um, since graduating from school and like getting to read my own texts and learning about, you know, what political views I hold and um, just getting really great recommendations from people and trying to look at social media as being like an educational tool and being open to listening to people's voices from like all over the place. That can be really hard because it's so vitriolic right now. But um you know, like there's a book called uh, American Nations, and it's about the 11 nations that actually uh, the United States is actually constituted by. Like that was a really big thing for me because it talked about generational um, cycles and how, you know, a generation ago in one place looked completely different than a, a generation in, the, in, in another based on the location in the country because of who settled those places and who, uh, what, you know, what political beliefs, what religious beliefs were, were planted in those places and like giving each other like that understanding of like, oh, that, those were the tools that you were given by your previous generation because of where you grew up, where you're from, what people thought about in that place. And like, even if you were counter that culture, it came from that place and like giving each other that, that like that gift, that generous gift of like, a trying to have empathy and understanding, it feels like that's something that's lacking. And like, I'm sure I could do better about that in, in numerous different ways. And then um, this other book that I'm, I'm checking out from the library, if every, if everybody should know about Libby, the app where you can use your library card and then get library books either to read or to listen to. And I've been listening to this book, um, People's History of the World, which was endorsed by Howard Zinn. Um, I forget what the guy's last name is, but Chris something. And like, it basically walks through the trajectory of the human experience, starting from primitive communism and Mm -hmm. why the idea that like things are the way that they are and they have to permanently stay this way is just this incredibly destructive myth that is 
100% supported like the 1917 socialist rebellions that were going on across Eastern Europe. Like they had power, they had momentum, but they were effectively completely dismantled because of like capitalist greed and, and need and drawing those boundaries between these different countries to allow the amassing of wealth within those countries. Like we have in us as a people, the possibility for great change. And like, maybe it doesn't look like something like what we've read about in the history books, because one thing or another didn't work because capitalism is all controlling, but like to say that these things don't work or can't work or to not allow ourselves to be futuristically leaning is like, we are not comfortable right now living in the past because the past has too much baggage. (laughs) Yeah. The past has so much pain for like so many different reasons for so many different people. And it has so much shame. Like we all feel varying levels of pain and shame and, um, and, and like looking back at where we've gone and then the future is also so hard to see because everything feels so hopeless. And if we can't solve some of the bigger problems, thinking about the future is impossible, but like, look at the sci-fi that's being made right now. It is all reductive. It is all just cyclical of like old ideas. Like that's like Star Wars being called sci-fi. Star Wars is a fantasy, and it's not speculative. It's not futuristic. It's it's about retelling old stories in a new way. And like maybe it was a big deal at the time. It's, it's about retelling Akira Kurosawa's stories. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like this idea that like right now there's this optimism in me that what if we do find alternate ways like storytelling on YouTube or on like people having incredible art experiences that they let people see from like the comfort of their own phones as far as like speculative futuristic media that's being produced and that has like new um what is like the the streams before streams there's the the little tiny bodies of water that flow all of these streams start amassing and creating creeks smaller than that something smaller you just you had a lot of that this isn't a quiz go on finish your point yeah a lot of that in the midwest and i wish i remembered uh yeah i i just i'm i'm frustrated with media right now i'm frustrated right now with my inability to deal with the fact that like i have ideas and i want to work and collaborate with other artists but i'm having i'm having capitalist you know problems where like access to being able to expand into some of these stories that I want to tell is hindered by like, first of all, me learning about, you know, the way that the ADHD brain works. It's like really difficult to get ideas formulated enough to get people to want to buy in or like jump on. And then also just like gendered self-confidence aspects like there's a lot going on there that I'm trying to work through and like confront there's a lot of like the arts worker stories that I want to think about and like there's there's a lot of different like I feel barriers to entry that I want to confront and then find ways to to hurdle over them Mm -hmm. um but right now we're just like lost in the sauce. We're just lost in like the hurting of thinking about the past and like how difficult the present is. Um, 
So it's like an act of like rebellion to be thinking about the future right now and yeah. to be thinking about it in a way that feels like inclusive and intersectional and like right. Like it just feels like it's a challenge that I feel like more of us should be taking on and it incorporates the idea of critical thinking being uh critical thinking being like this merit producing endeavor does that make sense yeah it does and it it, it makes me think about something like a couple of things one of the things that i thought that, that i think is interesting is we were talking about when you were talking about how like um going to school and learning how to think critically i definitely agree with you it with it being valuable However, one of the things that I kind of have an issue with, like uh, art academia, is sort of this idea that there are institutions, I'm not going to name names, but there are definitely institutions that they are basically teaching in a non, like they're teaching art as if it existed in a non-capitalist society. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and it, you know, it's, it's not invalid to sort of... <sighs> teach people to think outside of that va the capitalist value system to um, help them maybe say something a little bit different. I think it can be a little tricky when it's, in, it's an institutionalized philosophy. However, there is a moral and ethical issue with like charging people insane amounts of money. Like if the mm -hmm. schools were fucking free, we're talking private schools. We're not talking about the UCs. We're not talking about uh, CSUN. <laughs> Definitely not talking CSUN. <laughs> so no, but 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 you you get you get what I'm saying. Like there is this sort of like um, it's fucking unreasonable. <laughs> we, could have a, we could have an entire many hour long discussion critiquing the various aspects of just the Los Angeles based. Yeah private and public schools and I would say this is this is this this is pretty fair. And then there's also, you know, going into like what we were talking about, there's still like here's where I think is fucking legit. Like, you know, like whatever. I would love I would fucking probably love it if I was a professor and every year there were a crop of new freshmen and there were, you know, hot little 18-year-old girls, but they're adults so i can fuck them oh, however God. that seems a little fucking shady right like is that is that didn't i sound like a creep with that fantasy <laughs> but that's a fucking reality dude and so for me like there's a lot of different issues with with that but like that's a that that is like i i know women i know a woman who left academia because she was asked to give someone who was their their a professor's special friend a uh a better grade because you know it was a special friend and like she got so fucking pissed off she left and i yeah. i don't know what she's doing now but anyway wow that's i mean this whole conversation thinking about it in terms of like trying to find ways to talk I, about issues that are really like exciting to talk about in like private. <laughs> I'm a podcaster. I have no, I have no boundaries when it comes to what I can and can't talk about. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, my husband and I have such like 
insane conversations always. Everything that comes up on our phones, everything that comes up like while we're, we don't really watch too much like mainstream media at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, it's all up for discussion. It's all up for grabs. It's, and then we have friends. Are you saying you don't want to be the one in this conversation defending groomers (laughs) after I framed it that way, which is totally fine. I'm mostly joking. I think that there are nuances and distinct ways to distinguish between predatory behaviors and like legitimate, you know, relationships. And that line is really difficult to navigate. And okay, like, but I, is there is there not always the possibility of there being some uh, abuse of power and influence? I would say yes, especially when the age gap is uh, a thing. And I think that like when we when we start recognizing that like as a human species that we're maybe not capable of seeing that the human brain is still developing until, you know, forever. And the idea that like a, a, a 38 year old is somehow the same as an 18 year old when there's a 20 year gap and saying like, Oh, well, you know, that's fine because that's an adult. Like there's, there, there's so much of a power dynamic to discuss. I have no problem with the same two people, like a professor and a hot 18 year old meeting in a bar and just having a conversation I'm having fun, obviously. I I, I do enjoy how saucy this conversation is. But anyway, I have no problem with them meeting in a bar and hooking up and having a great night. She is an adult. Don't mistake my, like, being (laughs) being recorded and being, like, aghast and not knowing how to confront this conversation (laughs) while on your podcast as me being, like, at all, um, at all, Brutish? No, 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 no. I'm just going to go a plot forward. You can do it. You can react however you feel comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) But here's what I'm saying. I don't think that that's a fucking problem. However, I do think it's a problem when, because, okay, in a bar, that same fucking 38 year old, is just an old fucking guy. (laughs) He's got to work for it. In the fucking classroom, I, I see where is you're going with that. Artist motherfucker in that room, in a fucking it's scenario where there are all these young artists, and they're like, "Oh my god, I want to learn so much about art," and he knows so much. Like, if I think about my art identity and like what I knew about my voice when I was a BFA, bro, oh. if MFA, I'll let that slide. MFA is fine. I have a really like interesting experience, like personal experience. And I'm sure a lot of women do. And like maybe men have from like viewing it happen to their peers. Maybe they had it experience themselves. Um, There is definitely like probably an unfair. Are you friends with Mary Kay Letourneau's husband? No. What? Oh yeah. That's a generation. See, if if I even you're like uh, what's less than ten years uh, uh, younger than me, I'm an elder that's a, millennial. That's a generational fucking like, whew, I'm right? So sorry. I'm so no, sorry. No, but I'm just I'm using that as a point of like 
how like <laughs> even like just that 10 years how much of a fucking difference that makes a like, huge what difference. do you what does a fucking professor have to talk to an 18 year old fucking girl who's they interested? Have, they have sex jokes to tell, which is what <laughs> happened with me. I was in like a printmaking class with my favorite teacher in my, um, you know, back in Illinois in this like very out, you know, out in the suburbs, out in like the, the borderline rural suburbs. And my older professor would, you know, walk into a room of a bunch of 18 year olds having a great time telling jokes and ramp up the conversation by like, well, what's your dirtiest sex joke? Like, and I had some great ones. I know some really good. I'm proud of that ability. Like I, and we can get to those. <laughs> I'm not very good at telling jokes. I'm not a very funny person, but I love a good sex joke that doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. Doesn't have to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody with my humor. But uh, that along with slapstick, I really, really love um, people actually getting hurt uh, in slapstick. It's, it's, it has been made fun of Whoa, me a lot. that took a dark turn. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so then the, the teacher was like kind of trying to egg you on with, uh, with sex jokes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Like it was definitely like a borderline not appropriate situation that I think back now on and I'm like, you know, we would be in the room with each other, like maybe by ourselves, because I would, I would, I just loved being in the print studio and like telling jokes and like when people are leaving and come, like it's nothing ever happened. I'm really like fortunate that nothing happened in that instance. Like I'm not sitting here saying like I'm calling out this person, but at the same time, realizing that there is definitely like lines that can be crossed because of this power structure where like, I want to impress my older, cool teacher. So I'm going to be, you know, pushing boundaries and like then him being okay with doing that. Like it very easily can slip into a place of like being very inappropriate where it is about the power structure. It is about the dynamic of a, of a young student, not necessarily knowing any better about the behaviors that they're exhibiting. Like I'm being very diplomatic in this whole discussion, but like, uh, I see, I see there's, there's so many power structure dynamics within like academia that are fostered in tons of different behaviors, not just when it comes to like sexuality and like, you know, there, there's. And full disclosure, it, I did have a teacher try to take my girlfriend from me. It didn't work. And I laughed at him and I was like, you're a fucking creep. But that did happen. So maybe that informs my opinion of the whole thing. But I still think it's skeezy. You're a little spicy. Yeah. I, I, I still think the whole thing is skeezy. I'm glad that none of my friends that I are, that I know that teach are that kind of person. They, they But like, but yeah, man, it's like, bro, you can't impress women outside of school that you that you're a teacher, you know, like you can't you, you're you're going to the to the pool of people that are getting their degrees and maybe especially I, I know I said MFAs I don't mind so much because they're adults but even then it's like they're adult adults they're, they're like, like they're adultish you know adultish dude if if I had had a fucking affair with an older woman with, with my older professor uh I don't know that I would have come out of it okay you know yeah yeah <laughs> it's a yeah. mind fuck it's a mind fuck somebody that you you know like I know that we tend to think of like you know 
going back to like the Monica Lewinsky, I tend to think of, of women as like the temptress and all of that. But I don't know, dude, At the older I get. And then that goes back to that thing about like that I was talking to you about is like uh, about sort of my first my it's not a frustration, but it's just like where I get a little bit like drained of hope is the idea that like I feel like there are younger people that I talk to that are in the same place politically in terms of critical thought that I was when I was their age. And okay, the cultural moment is different for them. What, what everybody's excited about, whatever, you know, when I was in college, Bush was a horrible thing. Yeah. Like, I still believe Bush is way worse than Trump. And I know that a lot of people have a hard time with that, but I could go through and explain to you why he is worse than Trump. I can go through and explain to you why Biden is a worse for communities of color than Trump. Biden, I can tell you why fucking Kamala Harris is a bad choice over these people, right? Trump was a fucking reality TV star that was an asshole and the the worst, most racist thing that he did up until that point, as far as I can remember, is the whole, uh, uh, the, the what's it called? The New York Five or whatever. The kids that were got in trouble. There was a Netflix movie about it. I forget exactly. Hey, hey. The Central Park Five. That's, yes. the, that's, their, that's their name, right? Like, there is nothing like the crime bill. There's nothing. There's nothing... Hey like lying us to getting it to war millions of fucking Iraqi people and all the people that say that they care about like the refugees. It's like, so for me, that goes to that generational thing. We're even having this gap in this conversation because you were what? Uh, so I was in my twenties when the Iraq war was happening, you were like 12 years old, right? So your understanding of it comes from a pre-critical thought access to critical thought. My personal uh, understanding and my personal experience comes from that, but that doesn't mean that people of my generation shouldn't be expected to be engaging in critical thought and reading and trying to unpack the lies that were necessarily, that were, that were being fed to us at the time. But we have new lies to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and for me to come here and tell you, yo, there was some bad lies. How the fuck? Like, that's how the, that's how it would, it's, this is a generational trap that I'm talking about, right? Like there were older people, boomers that told me that this was a fucking one party country. And I was like, nah, I don't believe you. And I was fucking, I just didn't have the tools. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that I wasn't like, it's just, I had only been exposed to propaganda for a certain amount of time. Right. It takes you a fucking long time to realize like I'm entirely wrong about everything. I do feel this optimism that that generational gaps are going to continue feeling more and more pressing. Like they are there. I think generational gaps maybe in the past were not as visible because they were brushed under the rug. But generational gaps is being used as a tool of of recognition and the idea that like elder millennials can be helping a younger millennial understand like this is an experience that we had um you know where were you on what were your thoughts about 9-11 and and how can you unpack that and understand the world but still understand that you're seeing that under like the 
the framework of a millennial that you were so young that you couldn't have, um, you couldn't have critical thought about what was happening. It was, it was sold to you, it was packaged to you. No, I'm, I'm saying that this is, I, I'm not, I'm not at all. Uh, I'm saying that this is like a, a trap of fate, right? Like I'm not saying I'm not holding trap any, oh. I'm not holding anyone accountable. This is sort of like, I'm not losing hope in any generation. I am fully aware that these people are capable of getting to where I am. Uh, but my concern is this. I have been, uh, like I go, you, you, you've envisioned yourself as a teacher of, of art and then you realized that you didn't want to do academia. I didn't really want to be a fucking teacher of art, right? Like I was convinced that I did, but when it came down to it and I was like, what am I going to get in debt for something that to compete with people that I'm going to be making, I was coaching soccer. I was making as much money as a fucking adjunct. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was fucking crazy to me. Like at this point, I'm ready to sell out a little bit, you know, like, oh, like man. I'm, I'm tired of fighting. And so, so, so by the time the people catch up to where I'm at, they're also going to be ready to sell right. out a little bit. Well, right? I think that, that there's and, a trend to that right now, especially with what we've been dealing with with COVID, because it feels like we can, we can critique capitalism from within capitalism because the other, the alternative is, is basically either, bugging out like living as a as a prepper on off the grid which i love as a subculture and i've researched a lot into that but like the alternative <laughs> is you. <laughs> oh man I, that was a lot of grad school was researching that um that subculture and like all of the flaws that come in go ahead finish your that. point finish your point just i feel like right now we're all so tired of fighting and reconciling and recognizing and just being like we can critique capitalism and what it's done to completely destroy our, our, our lives, but we still have to live within it right now, or we die, you know, or we, you know, get gobbled up or like, you know, who, who can afford to leave the country? Right. Like who's, who's just like, I'm just going to go. Oh, if, if you can afford to leave the country, there's a, there's a chance that maybe, capitalism is not negatively impacting you the way that it is for people who can't afford to leave the country. So go back to wherever you're from is such like a, a ridiculous premise. Just, just to start with, you know? Well, this is one of the things that I always find interesting about talking to like people that are American, right? Because (sighs) America, the history for like a Latin American person and the relationship to America is very complicated. We have more privilege than anybody who has uh, a pass, who doesn't have a passport, right? Like any Cuban who can't come to the U.S. right now, like I'm way better off, mm-hmm. right? But that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, right? Like there have been periods where we've allowed, uh, it, it, we've lifted the blockade and there were, there were businesses flourishing, Fast and the Furious film down there, you know, like uh, uh, the Rolling Stones played a concert there. Like, you know, like there was a moment where it looked like we were going to fucking, oh, let people live. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so. Are you frozen too?
Are you there? Yeah, I think something blinked out. Can you hear me at all? I wanted so badly to record that because it was just you saying the word do 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 over and over again. <laughs> it was like kind of actually incredible. I am bummed I didn't whip my phone out fast enough. Uh, so I don't know why my screen isn't working. I still have everything set up correctly. Um, but anyway, we've been talking for like an hour and a half, so we can start wrapping up. Uh, it looks like we're still recording. Why the fuck I is my so, screen? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, I can. I think I can unmute my video. It's still not showing. I mean, seriously, you could do like a lecture series on so many of these different topics that you're passionate about. And it feels almost limiting in some ways to think about it as like a new conversation that you have to start with a new person every time that you start an episode of What's My Thesis. It's like, it's so incredible to offer that ability to meet people and hear about what they're really passionate about but then at the same time you're like I really want to dig into some of these topics and what do you mean I just feel like so many of these separate different like topics that we've talked about could be you know entire chapters of your perspective on these things and and how they are impacted by the people that you talk to and about your own personal experience I mean I would love to hear more about your experience being Cuban American and Oh well like- the only the, the only thing I'm I mean this is this is just kind of comes up. I've talked to I've had guests on that that we talked to uh, we talked a lot in depth about this. So this is like we this is not do, like we're I'm I've I kind of wanted to talk to you about this stuff because I know we've in, in, in like we've hinted that we kind of are in the same space in yeah. terms of like left lefty politics. Yeah. And, and and I definitely, you know, I don't, the older I get, the less I'm convinced that I know everything. Right. And, and yeah, we do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but that's what is so infuriating to me about people right now is that everybody's so fucking certain. And they're, and then like a, a few months later, it's like, Oh no, that was complete bullshit. <laughs> like the Hunter Biden yeah. story, Hunter Biden, like the laptop shit was real and it's been acknowledged and it was suppressed fucking a journalist left uh, Glenn Greenwald left the intercept because they weren't going to let him publish a story in the fucking paper he founded off of his reputation for doing the Snowden leaks. And so like, to me, that shit is crazy because it's like, it's more about being on the right side of like what the popular, like it's just being one of the cool kids. Right. I'll send you that, that um, video that I found. Cause it was just like a really nice summation of exactly like, the trending, um, the trending cyclical, you know, cap, uh, canceling and then, um, tribalism that erupts from that. And like the, the assumption, the, the presumption that, you know, what it is that you're so up in arms about is usually wrong. Like, it's usually just like somebody's lying to you and like, and that's why I get so I, I'm starting to get frustrated at myself for being frustrated when people are propagandized. True, and like true. you know, yeah. like like why the fuck is that triggering me? That right. doesn't help me. But anyway, I do want to wrap it up because I I don't know why my camera's not working. Uh, I can, uh, and then I also wanted to end on this thing. I am not saying you can't have sex with an 18 year old. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm saying. I was 18 once. I had sex. It was not with 
older, 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 older men, but you I'm know. saying you can be <laughs> 70 and fucking 18 year old. I don't give a fuck if you do it. You, you like, I'm just saying, don't do it in a place where you have intrinsic high value and power over somebody that's interested in learning the fucking thing. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, you know, like, and I, and if you, and if you groomed a a college student uh, and, and, and married her, like, good for you. I'm not fucking trying to fuck with your hustle. I'm just saying as an institution, like maybe we should analyze. You're the only case where I think that that's okay. <laughs> if you're listening to this, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just like if if a theme of critical thinking is a, a thing here, I think that critical thinking being applied to power structures is not being just like a thing that we ignore, I think could be the takeaway. Like <laughs> I'm a saying nice little wrapping it up of, of go like, seduce all the 18 year olds you want. I'm going to try too. don't get me wrong. But <laughs> We're looking for our our 18 year old unicorn that's what the situation is um yeah well i'm not in a relationship so i don't i don't need a unicorn <laughs> i need a single lady it doesn't even have to be that complicated no i'm saying i i would probably not be able to like date them long term and they would get bored of listening to me talk about my old man shit <laughs> sometimes you luck out with a relationship that starts when you're 19 and it <laughs> you get really lucky and that they you know how many years later um, still can put up with your constant ramblings about uh, it's been really like Billy will walk past me while I'm in my therapy. And he's just like, all I can hear is you yelling about capitalism and cops and the world. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, "Ah, that's just Emily being, don't, don't even talk to me about when uh, any sort of intoxicants get involved in the the party. And it's well, a mess. My, uh, um, that my, should be something that we do at some point if you are if you are down, because I what, feel like that would be really fun. What to do to to get drunk or smoke weed? No, or what? I, yeah, we're yeah, still recording, but, by the way. Just just for FYI, oh, so <laughs> before uh, you before you forget that my screen is black. But is, is weed legal here in Los Angeles? <laughs> I don't I think, know. I don't know. I think we're okay. Do you have parents that might judge you for that? I don't know. Well, my if my parent if my one parent watched this already. They would be um, much more offended by. <laughs> there would be a lot of other things before this that are making me think like um, I can't really share this, which is really <laughs> sad. But uh, yeah, there's there's things that came earlier uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I said or that you said. <laughs> I said like, oh, okay, I okay. I, I was like, wow, it. man. I hope I don't. I, <laughs> now I understand what We're you're all saying. only responsible for what we ourselves can do. <laughs> and say right like but the uh, uh, last note my uh, grandparents are also 12 years apart and uh my grandfather met my grandmother when uh, he was 22 and she was 12 they didn't start dating until later but that's still fucking weird <laughs> my mom and dad were like five years apart that was fine um my I feel like everybody has been like relatively close in age, which you know, I just don't have like a personal, yeah, I, yeah. I have friends that have like varying degrees of these relationships and like, I'm so happy for them. So I, I don't have any, I don't have any horse in this race. I'm totally, um, I'm totally doing a bit, but also not. <laughs> I mean, the power structure as being a thing that we should be cognizant yeah. of, I, I think is a really 
good thing to think about, especially when it comes to deconstructing academia and like the the premise of academia as being like the end all be all of how to educate ourselves on various ideas. Um, the most exciting relationship that I have in my family history, I think, is my great grandpa was living in Texas and met a woman who had fleed Cuba, fled mm -hmm. Cuba. That's uh, fled is correct. Fled. Thank you. Um, short-term memory loss and word usage throughout COVID has really been a thing. And I learned from this woman, the Golden Dome School, at she was at OPATH, where she was like, it's okay. This is like a thing that we're all experiencing. Like people forgetting each other's proper nouns and like, it's apparently a thing, which is really comforting. But um, yeah, they, he he didn't speak any Spanish and she didn't speak any English and they fell in love and had a beautiful relationship until both of them died shortly within each other. Like just a real interesting Did they story. ever learn how to communicate? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> or was yeah. that the bliss of the marriage? <laughs> I mean, they were like, they were old at this point. Like they were, they were grandparents at this point. Oh, okay. So like they found love as grandparents, even like, so it's not like they were both like, you know, total stunners. And I mean, they were good looking people, but. I love how I share like a really dark story about my grandparents being like inappropriately aged. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, the sweet, <laughs> the sweet story that we. <laughs> You'll have to just come by and we'll get a little bit loosey goosey. And then I'll just. You, you tell me about all the trauma. Dude, all the terrible stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I've said this before. I've literally on several occasions had to tell my father to stop telling me a story because it was upsetting me of his childhood because <laughs> he oh, was like unaware yeah. of his uh, unaware that he was he's like nostalgic about trauma yeah and I'm like uh yeah dude that's you know the trauma or not know the trauma because i've had both situations where it's like god i wish you had told me this like 10 years ago or oh my god please don't tell me this story again because it's so upsetting like i think it's more well, of like uh my dad does not know how fucked up his childhood was and how yeah. mis mistreated it was. And I don't want to hear it because it breaks my heart. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, generational trauma and like the whole idea of how much we inherit from that, like in, yeah. in our DNA is like such an, a fascinating study. Um, all of that being like, even just the obvious things about what we inherit as far as like what I was talking about earlier with like inheriting the, the ethics of the place that you were brought up in that totally extends to the people that you were brought up with. And like, yeah, I think like, I'm really optimistic about my role as being a cycle breaker. Like I am capable of not perpetuating my family lineage and therefore all of the trauma that was inherited, you mm -hmm. know, like, I think that that's an aspect of optimism that I find in the world. Like I can, I can contribute to less humans being born and I can also stop cycles of trauma and abuse and, you know, cool. That's an optimistic sort of <laughs> thing to be happy about. Well, yeah, I can definitely stop uh, hearing my dad's trauma too. Cause that yeah. shit is intense. It is crazy. What, what, uh, what the world, like I, sometimes it's hard to even think of what the world is like, like just in our lifetime, we're talking about how much has changed even with just 
Monica Lewinsky and our perspective on her. Yeah. Another thing that's funny about Bill Clinton is like the five things that they used to say were his biggest achievements were like NAFTA, uh, uh, what's it called? The um, like welfare, welfare reform, a whole bunch of things that were just like, like the crime bill. That That's f- three out of five that I can remember. I can't remember all of them, but like uh, I see based on the expression that I'm getting from your face, it's clear that you are not in the same space that we were back when people were like, hey, he was a great president. We should have known something was wrong with Clinton when Republicans started liking him, even though, you know, uh, <laughs> they're like, yeah, hey, he's not too bad. That's because they started. He just did all of their shit. They couldn't. Uh, uh, George W. Bush couldn't pass, pass NAFTA. It had to be. Uh, um, sorry, Herbert Walker Bush couldn't pass NAFTA. It had to be Bill Clinton. We had to reach across the aisle. You know what my first election, do you know what my first election was? Which one? Hanging chads. 2000 uh, were Al Gore. Oh, see, that's another generational joke that you didn't catch. Nope. Hanging chads. They were, they, when they were doing the recount, there was a whole thing. The Florida ticketing system. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I... It was not part of my vernacular at the time because I was a child. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think about that moment in history a lot. What our world would be like if Al Gore had been able to accomplish what he had. And like, I don't even know enough I, about I don't, him to think. I don't think anything would have changed. Right, exactly. Like, because we're a one-party system, because like everything is predicated on the success of the ruling party and it has been and ever maybe actually I I just contradicted myself because I don't know I do think that it's hard to it's hard to quantify Dick Cheney and what would have I, 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 I may be retracting my idea that like that Bush presidency was really bad that's where all the wars that were in started we were not we were you guys guys I don't know if you know this hey but we were not in any wars until George W. Bush took office. Except for the war on drugs and except for the war on poverty and except for the war on women, which was totally. Yeah, but no- you can't kill those except for women. <laughs> you can kill through so many alternative methods by allowing the zeitgeist to think that it's oh no i you can also just kill women we do that all the time yeah yeah yeah, like that's not that's not we we sterilize them we we're we're not good the the war on aids which was just the war of homophobe like yeah i mean like we've we've we were just more was there a war on aids i don't remember that phrasing that seems pretty harsh I'm being um, loose with that sort okay, of terminology okay. and applying it to what like was in actuality. I think the, I think the problem is that there was no war on AIDS. Well, there was a war on homosexuality, and yeah. that was. Created. Do you know what they? Do, do you know what they used to call AIDS? What? Grid. Do you know what grid stands for? I feel like I've learned this before, and it's not on the tip of my tongue. Uh, gay-related immunodeficiency syndrome. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And luckily, there's been enough media that's being um, highly recognized and discussed right now that's, like, educating people on how horrible the war on drugs and the war, you know, uh, on everything that happened regarding AIDS. Like Biden is expanding it. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll stop there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go back to mold making where I can control my own little world. I, and I'm not going to be invited to any of your parties. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll have our own separate parties, which is... I've, I've really liked that that new thing with like COVID being like smaller gatherings where like you mm-hmm. trust the person they've they've been you know doing whatever they need to do to be safe and whatever like there's like a, an opening of discussion of consent and like I love that and then like you get together with one or two other people and you're like so hungry for you know, having these conversations and then you get a little weed in you and you're all of a sudden having like this conversation that you're like, I've been wanting to have this conversation for years and years and it feels so good. That's a future vision that I want to have is like getting together with people and having these conversations and like what that then can lead to, you know. But not with me because I don't do drugs. I'll just do it. And you no, can I'm kidding. Sure. I do a lot of drugs. I had, I did a whole episode on how much of a degenerate I was. <laughs> I, I, I knew that, but I thought maybe I was starting to like try to preserve your, preserve your, uh, your mystique. You're like, no, I, I have I, no mystique. God, yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no mystique. <laughs> oh yeah. That's why it's going to be okay when I sleep with a groupie. Cause they're going to know me on the inside. Right. Right. <laughs> and how do you address the power dynamic of you not knowing them? It's going to be all about them getting to. No, uh, well, the problem here with this scenario is that is it's all fantasy. The idea of me having groupies, <laughs> I barely have <laughs> listeners. Anyone that was be, would listen that intently, like I'd be like, Oh my God, you were meant to be my wife. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's amazing what communities have been popping up around, uh, podcast personalities and like talent though these days like I am a, a fan of a couple different podcasts uh ologies have you heard about ologies I think I, t- I rambled we don't about plug it. other shows on the show sorry oh shit no I'm totally joking <laughs> oh my god like I've oh, plugged well, how many other this things is no longer an episode we should wrap it up we're just talking shit at this point my okay. dog is so impatient with me he's like when are you going to come and play i i also haven't eaten anything from this is hours. why i would eat dogs because they just like you know their personality is so needy <laughs> i'll be like you can be inside me pup but he does so much for me in like terms of other things. He he gives a lot to me. I'm a little obsessed. I couldn't eat him. Oh, I would just, you know, like I would raise pigs like they do in Italy. I would raise the dogs the same way. They, they, oh, right. They, they have right. happy right. lives and then they don't see it coming. And then wham. Oh. <laughs> oh. I can't flinch if I eat pork, right? Like I, it, it just, it, that's another like oh, the, the, prioritizing of human life over like what we view as being particular life forms or types of human life that are like better than others. It's all, it's all just a a myth that we allow to be able to sleep at night. You know, (laughs) like I I spent a lot, I spent a lot of time in dark places, especially true crime related dark places. So I don't mean to shock you, but I'm also fully aware that in a pinch, I would be a cannibal if I was part of the. I was the one who brought up eating human flesh out of a petri dish. You think that I'm like? <laughs> no, but I'm just that? saying. I just, I just know what my boundaries are. I would, I would totally snuggle up with a dog and eat it. <laughs> you know, raise it until it's nice and fat. 
it's just if it i mean it's just i don't like dog meat but you get what i'm saying like you know it's it's like i think also bear meat is supposed to not be very good it's like supposed to be really greasy so there's there's like my point is i'm not going to eat a fucking dog unless it tastes as good as a pig a really good point i was just looking at somebody cooking beef earlier we've been doing like somewhat intermittent fasting which sounds like a crazy person thing but like it, it does it's great it's been really lovely it's been um it's la crazy yeah it's, yeah 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 it I'm sounds just, like a joe rogan type shit yeah i'm also <laughs> doing like a whole body of work right now when i was talking about like the idea of living in the past and then trying to make a house for myself in the future i'm doing this whole like futuristic um like sort of critiquing the idea of manifestation through like trying to find ways of engaging in with it similarly to how i researched uh the prepper culture like i'm mm. i'm very interested in like immersing myself into certain thought patterns in like a very like just dipping my toe in sort of thing um but the 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 manifesting of like uh a futuristic um art myth that i'm creating for myself i would love to share a press release that i wrote for myself at some mm -hmm. point um yeah. that will be part of my show at uh elephant uh, oh, you're showing time. an elephant? Nice. Yeah, I'm really, I'm very grateful to Austri for, yeah, it's, it's, it's something I've been really looking forward to because I haven't really had any solo exhibitions mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't had a lot of group exhibition opportunities for a little while. So like, I've just been learning and like working on this whole mold making thing. So I'm not upset. Um, I'm just very, I'm very grateful and optimistic that I'm going to have a really good time preparing for this show in May. And I wrote this press release that's very futuristic and sort of like manifesty sort of energy. And have it's you ever just, read uh, any of the futurist manifestos? Uh, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Those are my favorite. The, you yeah. know, the podcast started with a discussion about futurists. The first no. episode is about futurists. I'm a huge fan. They're Italian fascists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. interesting group of people. I mean, the, very the, naive. <laughs> the movement was a whole thing that we got really into um, studying in, in grad school, um, thinking about like what that means to write a manifesto and to like hold power in those words. Um, yeah, it's, I, I guess I'm kind of writing my own like little futuristic manifest. Maybe I'm internally a fascist and. No, I mean, actually, there's a, there's a movement in um, in sci-fi right now that is trying to undo the dystopian works of, like, people. I think um, William Gibson is also on board for this, but, like, basically what, what a lot of sci-fi uh, or what this movement in sci-fi is thinking is that maybe they uh, led us here by writing such dark and dystopian tales and that they're trying to, like, maybe imagine a, a, a less upsetting future although yeah. man i would never give snow crash up have you ever read that book mm -mm. it's uh, uh neil stevenson it's it, it's about uh it's essentially about anarcho-capitalism which is i think what i think ultimately is where we're headed it's yeah. like you know like we're we, it, uh <clears throat> even in my neighborhood there's no police force there's a private security force that cool, operates cool. Cool. what's that i said cool 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 Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And I've had some pretty weird experiences with them. Can I've, you tell uh, me the name of that book one more time? Snow Crash. It's one of my favorites. It's uh, it's very well uh, well known, and it's like kind. Of, it reads like an action book. Um, 
And Look at that, Libby. There we go. Nice. Oh, you're going to get it from the bookstore. Nice. Yeah. Oh, from the, not the bookstore, from the, yeah, yeah. It's a great read. It's, uh, or a great listen to, I'm sure. It's super exciting. There's, uh, there's fast cars and pizza delivery and mafia and, uh, it'll be a nice break from a lot of like the nonfiction that I've been. It's what it, I, like I said, I highly recommend it. Neil Stevenson is one of my favorite authors. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely highly recommend that. And I'm excited if you read it because we're going to talk mad shit about it. Yeah. But, uh, again, I'm just going to remind everybody it's okay to sleep with 18 year olds. As long as they consent. <laughs> I, I, I do love playing with you a little bit now. Now that I now that I got it, now that I know. I had a coworker one time that said that Midwesterners have very um like consistently puckered buttholes. And I was so <laughs> I was so offended. And then I was like, oh fuck, what if that's real? Like, what if we're all just consistently just like in this state of like oh being just shocked or and even if we're not actually shocked internally that we that we portray this attitude of being like oh we're so wholesome we can't handle any sort of risque humor like what's I, worse? I am also kind of pulling it up from like <laughs> trying to end the episode with that is a little unfair on my part anyway uh let's say goodbye to all the uh, all the listeners is there anything that we can promote for you your instagram is at emily blythe jones right are there any underscores nope just my name. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be rolling out business plans, uh, within hopefully, you know, months. If this becomes an MLM, I'm going to be so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what is the educational system? If not an MLM, uh, I I have have a family history with MLM. So, you know, you're, you're, triggering me thank you uh yeah my website is just emily b jones um that's it at dot com uh I, but i haven't really been very good at updating that uh that's that's just assumed when we, yeah. when we plug the website in fact i think we're gonna do a patreon model maybe or you know something um oh no the 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 educational platform okay uh, yeah i can i have some people that i can uh show you that uh, actually the artist that i was telling you that uh that quit resigned because uh she was asked to fix someone's grade oh i would Uh, be very grateful for that i'm i'm I need some good like role models to look towards to help. I'm not going to plug the school right now because I just gave up some very personal information. <laughs> <laughs> it's Harvard. Oh, 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 thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure. This massive shit talking session was great. <laughs> Next time I'm, I, ne- this is, this was your warm up. Next time you're going to be like, Javier, let me tell you all the hot goss. <laughs> I have so much hot gas. Oh my God. <laughs> If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate us five stars, shop at our merch store, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Special thanks to our patrons, M. Trichkovsky and Tony Irons. To become a patron, go to patreon.com slash whatsmythesis. 